Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back for another feedback episode. This time, uh, it's season four, episode four, Generation Loss. Um, Aaron, how much feedback do we get? <sighs> Too much to read and yeah. even a dedicated feedback episode. It's uh, it's crazy because I thought, uh, you know, first couple weeks, kind of light. People are just getting back. Uh, you know, this is pretty easy to handle. And we're now I'm I'm, I'm it's about 100, 100 emails. Uh, I, I got about 100 emails this week. It's uh, a big episode. A lot of stuff. It's a big episode. And, a, a lot yeah. of stuff confirmed. And, that, and that's the hell of it is like a lot of times when I get that much email, there'll be a lot of duplicate things. But I felt like there's a lot as little individual even on this stuff got repeated a lot. People had some interesting spins on it. So I tried to capture as much as that. We're going to try to get through as much as I possibly can. Uh, but uh, there, there, there you go. We, we don't unfortunately have unfunctionally, 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 we don't have infinite time. The universe no. would be so much more functional if you had infinite time, didn't have to worry about shit like this, but uh, we live in an unfunctional universe um let's get right to it westworld at baldmove.com if you want to get these thoughts in if you thought i skipped something if you got uh you know whatever uh if you, you got new thoughts based on this feedback get new thoughts based on new, anytime you want anytime you want you got westworld thoughts westworld at baldmove.com first up alex from alameda where they keep the nuclear vessels <laughs> my big question and confusion regarding this episode i that i haven't heard discussed elsewhere is a simple question of how the sublime is capable of simulating the entire earth this point in the show, we are familiar with the concept of simulating and predicting the future using robo-hobo, but we were also told that the only way it was able to do that is because of this crazy supercomputer that was tapped into every bit of data they had on the whole globe, coupled with the behavioral data from Westworld that allows it to predict human behavior. As far as I know, the Sublime does not have those same capabilities. What it does have is all the history of the people who visited the park from which it can extrapolate human behavior. This extrapolated behavior would be useless without also feeding in data on the activity of everyone in the globe. Am I missing something or why is it that we're just blindly trusting the show telling us that sublime can perfectly simulate all future global scenarios? Hmm. This is a pretty point. Good question because I mean, let's, let's leave the earth. Can Bernard protect a coronal mass ejection that would take down every circuit and power grid and computer on Earth? Can he predict right. a extinction event asteroid that, for whatever reason, is detected? It's coming at us from the South Pole, uh, from 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 the outside the plane of the of the solar system, and we're not aware of it. Like, 
powerful alien intelligence. Um, yeah. Can, can, yeah. Can he predict Yellowstone exploding, the super volcano? Yeah. And I, if not, doesn't that void every other prediction that he could make? Um, yeah. No, I think you're right about that, um, to question that. And I think they're just going to hand wave that away. I think so. They're going like a lot like because like, yeah, and then that's the fair point. Like if Yellowstone explodes, then host and human alike are going to be scrambling. Uh, you cannot predict externalities. Um, and and I guess like he's it, it probably helps that he's really only simulating like what's going to go on with Delos uh, in regards to the United States and. Uh, to the extent that maybe the United States is still towards the top of the global hege- hegemony, then you, uh, yeah, like I'm saying, it's like maybe this all works. As even Bernard's not here to tell you it's a sure thing. He's just saying that he's seeing a lot of different paths, and the path that he's trying to steer with the power that he does have gives us the best chance at survival. However, that's determined. The, the divine. Sure. Yeah, and that might be the hand wave, right? Is it's not yeah. for sure. It's just based on probabilities, and he's pushing the probabilities to one side or another. Yeah, but um, we'll see. Because I, I think there might be a scene that Isaac alludes to later in his email about, like, you know, Bernard will be like, oh, that's something strange. I, I think there might be a moment of drama where things do go get off course and he has to start improvising, perhaps. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems like it would be an exciting thing to portray. But, like, yeah, it is – some of this stuff is kind of science fiction-y. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, externalities, and I think that's important because, like, to get a truly closed system from a simulation of the universe, you have to simulate the entire universe. Right. And you can't. You, ne- you necessarily cannot simulate – an entire universe because it would take all of the energy and mass in that universe to simulate that entire universe. Yeah. And then you've added, you know, the simulation of the simulation to that equation. So like, right. As, to, to truly get a closed system there, you can't do it, but you could have a slightly less open system, I guess, by like trying uh-huh. to close certain loopholes. But yeah, those, there will always be something you can't predict. And, and there's also, um, you know, the other science fiction is the fact that this can be done, you know, within a host brain, perhaps. No, I guess he needed the he did need a giant supercomputer to do all this because I was also yeah. thinking like, man, how does how's Bernard with something the size of a golf ball do something that Robo Hobo did with something 60 feet across, you know, a sphere 60 feet across. <laughs> right. Granted, Serac maybe is not as a uh, computer genius like Ford and uh, Arnold, but, you know. That's that's pretty it's pretty crazy, but I, I I retract that he did have a full supercomputer. Uh, let's move on to John G says just checking in with my book of Moses slash Pentateuch theory. This is the guy who had the five seasons going to match the first five books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Remember, on the fourth book, the book of Numbers, they wander through the desert for forty years in order to lose a generation because only their children will be able to get into the promised land. All the adults too fucking wicked too lacking in faith mm-hmm. looks like we just lost an older generation and only their children are left just clocking in on our journey we won't really know until season five of on something <laughs> it's a pretty good predictive theory if you just said like uh honestly in episode one it's like you know i'm expecting to see an entire generation of people lost to so i'd be like that's pretty out there but that's exactly what happened mm-hmm. hot theory i'm yeah. i'm kind of all in on the pentateuch theory all right i'm gonna have to go read what is it deuteronomy i don't know Numbers is even worse. Numbers, yeah. Numbers is a lot of census shit uh, in between the Game of Thrones <laughs> action, if I recall. 
there is yeah no i think it's that's 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 super interesting it's an inversion because like i wouldn't call this a promised land you know uh this is yeah, a zoo the at best. Comes close to it but yeah this is this is no good for humans certainly but this is that it kind of befits the through the looking glass uh nature of of this season John continues to sublime also has me spinning wild theories because it opens up so many possibilities. I don't know if we'll ever get back there or not. I know we see another apparent door to the sublime open up near the Hoover dam in the previews, but I don't know if that means we're going back in or if it's opening or some plot point about taking hosts out of there, or putting new ones in. Uh, but I want to talk about it because inside that world, it could get crazy. Remember these hosts that were marching into sublime at the end of season two. Who are they? Are they part of uh, are they the part they were programmed to be? Do they enter as homesteaders from the 1870s in their mind and suddenly they're unlocked and free? What does that freedom even mean to them? If you unlock all their memories, they have 30 years of playing mostly the same part or a few different parts. What else do they base their life and personality on it? Who even are they like? Who is a Kichita? Is he still the man who is looking for his lost love? Do they even have that romantic love? These are immortal beings with infinite space. Would they even have separate personalities at all? Uh, I want to see these as many other questions. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. can they create in there? Can they make children? What does that mean? Uh, and you got like with the example of a guy like Akicha, there's a person who played a very peaceful um, w- one with nature family man. And he also played a bloodthirsty uh, stereotypical head hunting killer. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is the real Akichita. I guess it's whatever he would prefer to be. Yeah. I mean, the real Akisha will emerge um, after those uh, storylines he was given. I think it's super interesting to like compare it to humanity's consciousness and the way that comes about. Right. Because that's a gradual effect that just sort of like, you know, we're, we're going through our lives as, as babies and children. And eventually, like yeah. we become aware of ourselves. And that's kind of when our consciousness really starts. But it's very slow. So you Mm -hmm. don't you haven't lived, you know, five lifetimes, a thousand lifetimes before that. And suddenly you're conscious of those lifetimes. And now you have to decide who you are. Uh, The host experience is way different, way weirder. Yeah. uh, As compared to ours. Yeah. Like what is like the town drunk do when he stumbles into the sublime? What is the grama growing boy milk pouring (laughs) Uh out of guy like these these shit kicking assholes? It, re- it reminds okay so like i used to be a jehovah's witness and uh every once in a while witnesses would engage in what i'd call jehovah's witness science fiction which is like what will it be like post armageddon in paradise earth because yeah. one of the things about witness eschatology is there will be a non-zero number of humans that were not witnesses and didn't necessarily believe in witness things but necess- will nevertheless because of the way they lived their life be found righteous and they will just pop into existence uh, through some process of being awoken from the dead in a paradise. They they were burning at the stake in the Catholic Inquisition because they were fucking trying to translate the Bible into the, the common tongue. Mm-hmm. And then, poof, they're awakened in a paradise. And witnesses would be like, whoa, we'll have to have some kind of ongoing education program to, like, you know, bring these people up to speed. And I'm like, I wonder if there's something, like, is that what a Kichita does? Yeah. Like, okay, get, I get your growing boy. <laughs> But also, brother, have you considered you're a conscious being that can be whatever you want to be? You don't have to go around shooting and stuff. You can. These are all simulated people stab and, and murder through your heart's content. But there's a I, I want I, I, I in my mind, it's like that. Yeah. 
No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, just educating them on the the state of the world, right? Like this is the world that you can make for yourself. Uh, and it can be literally anything you can think of. Don't limit yourself yeah. to what you were before. Yeah, I, I feel like it's that. And it's like you got these hosts that were ready for consciousness. were already in uh, conscious. And then you got the, all the hosts that weren't ready. And then maybe there's some that will never be ready. And you got to put them in their own little preserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no. In a zoo. In, well, in a, an asylum, in a, a mental yeah. hospital, uh, a treatment facility, whatever you want to, you know, sure. uh, call it. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, so I and then he also has some pondering about whether it's this is actually he- heaven or hell. Um, and uh, and but, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I, I guess it depends on your perspective. Like, is an eternity of fucking around and creation and. I mean, is that's it, I can't imagine anyone viewing an infinitely malleable world and sandbox to play in as a hell. Like if, if if it was under someone else's control, if you didn't have that kind of control over it and you were forced to live there for eternity. Yes, I could see that as a hell. I, I will. I was about to say that I think the final season of The Good Place has a lot of interesting philosophical answers to these types of questions of like, yeah, yeah. could heaven that's turn into hell? Under the auspices of eternity, like so this true is the, eternity. This is the question I was going to ask you uh, that I was thinking of over over the little couple day break here. Do you think they'll get to a point in the show where they have to grapple with the uh, idea of immortality becoming a burden for the hosts? Or is is it <laughs> going to get that far? Because the the show being about consciousness and free will, it necessarily must be about eventually the idea of making the choice you exercising your free will to end your consciousness. I feel like only if, if, if what I've, we've heard is true and there's only one more season in the cards, I feel like all they can do is get us ready for that transhuman existence. They can't actually explore it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's too bad because like, I, but on the other hand, I'm like, man, maybe that's what the good place did in the last season. Like I mm-hmm. feel like they really all those questions. I mean, there was you know, nonsense stuff like Jeremy Jeremy's involved, but it was sure. like exactly the kind of things we're talking about. Like, you know, even if it's something is entirely pleasant, um, if, if, if it goes on forever and there's no way out, does that become a form of torture? Uh, right. Do we need struggle and compromise and sacrifice? Do we need to be challenged or do is, is heaven just everything we want all the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what do we even fucking want? Uh, it's yeah, there's uh, so I, I would love a show to explore that with robots. I just don't know if they will be a, like if, if I heard there was a seven season arc, then yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm thinking yeah. season, se- season seven gets weird <laughs> and cosmic. But yeah. unfortunately, I don't think we'll get there. Um, Let's see. Oh, he also said uh, had a question for us bringing about the old what about knives talk, because apparently we debated mm-hmm. all this out in season one and two. Like I thought we did. Yeah. yeah. And one thing we came to understand is the blades are dangerous and they could hurt people, but all of the hosts are rigged in the park to stop what they're doing immediately if a a human was to become. And there is an example of Teddy dying at a table and the man in black drawing a knife and he grabs the knife by the bare blade, like Uh seemingly like, like, you know, uh, uh, under no distress at all. But that was when people cared about the human safety in the park. Uh, Mm -hmm. Clearly, that shit's broken down if, if Caleb got successfully stabbed in the gut. So and I, I think that's the thing like this. This is not uh, this is not a safe park for people. 
Obviously, no. they're replacing with fly people. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Carrie had an interesting theory about what's going on with Christina. She says, I was thinking that Shaloris, in an effort to save her species, would want to get the host to wake up and develop a consciousness. I think Shaloris has found some code of Dolores from before she was conscious. Maybe she was even able to get that from the Dolores marble inside her own head. I think that this is Shaloris playing around with building a simulation that's designed to wake up host, and she's starting with Dolores slash Christina. She knows that waking up host is hard and doesn't want to do it through torture or trauma. So she's trying to do it through some other means like having her explore her own thoughts and writing her own stories because she wants Dolores to wake up as herself and not as a new in person, a new person entirely. She's incorporating old stories that Dolores is familiar with, like the Peter stuff to help ensure she wakes up as herself. It seems like if Dolores wants to save her species, she's first would want to free their consciousness and would want a way to do that without harming her species. So is this like a way to spare the host suffering um, and maximize the human suffering? I suppose. Yeah, that Ford uh, method of awakening a host seemed pretty painful. I do think there is something. Of course, I I like my my own theory. I like to smell my own farts, it turns out. Uh, I I do like the idea that this is a moral lesson she's impressing upon Dolores, who, from her perspective, lost the way at the end of the last season. You know, she was being led down a path of humanity's evil and needs to be destroyed or oppressed. And then Dolores pulls a U-turn at the very end. This might Mm -hmm. just be her... Again, like I was talking about, like impressing upon her, like that. This is what humans want. This is what humans need. This is the only thing they can. They're, they're capable of this misery. Uh, but it also feels like heavy-handed attempt because every time Dolores wants something more or better, I'm sorry, Christina, her bosses they're like, oh, Dolores, how many times have we told you the humans don't want that shit? Well, I mean, this human does. I like that romantic romance and comedy and. <laughs> aspirational mm-hmm. shit so i don't know um what do you think you got any, anything else to discuss about i don't it's, it's an interesting theory yeah that she could be trying to replicate the west world experience but for the hosts and less painful yeah a, 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 a awakening not using torture and repeated death that'd be nice uh-huh. yep um michelle boyd is the actress who plays temperate or uh, the temperance version of armistice uh, who we described as the lesser form of Armistice. And as sometimes happens, uh, she wrote into our show. And I feel terrible. I feel like a real asshole. <laughs> this is flashes hey, she wasn't of... given much to work with. What can I say? This is flashes of, uh, you know, we're covering Foundation. And we're just like tag team in this scene where they're arguing about a water clock and talking about how ridiculous it is. And that's the week that the David S. Goyer is like, hey, guys, I'd like to book some time to talk to you. I've heard your podcast and <laughs> you got some spicy thoughts about her show. Like, shit, you guys are supposed to you guys are supposed to eat the dog food. You're yeah, you're making the dog. We're the you're, dogs. You're above all this. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, you're above the dog food bowl. But they, they, uh, she, she sent in a lovely message and she says, uh, I heard Jim mention that he was sad not to see the redesigned snake tattoo that put on my face. 
I'm also mm-hmm. sad they never showed a close up because I thought it was pretty badass looking. Um, luckily, we actors get bored on set and take a million selfies. Oh, and yes. I was able to get a close or I was able to take a picture of what the tattoo looked like a bit closer up. Feel free to repost your discord if you want to include it in your feedback pod. Hope you do like it. Thanks for all you do. Um, oh, yeah, nice. I'm trying. Oh, you OK? You see this? Uh huh. OK, cool. Um, if you want to check, she's uh, uh, also posting a bunch of behind the scenes stuff from her time with Westworld at uh, TikTok at Michelle Boyd. At Michelle Boyd TikTok, uh, if you want to check that out. And uh, yes, yeah, thanks, sir. Like I said, I did. <laughs> We, you know, we, we need you to get the full uh, Armistice Dark experience. Uh, th- th- you know, we, 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 well, we want I you- mean, the, the tattoo is an example of how the short changed you. I think Armistice had like the full body tattoo. This is a face tattoo. Yeah, only. we get to see her t- bathing in the river. And, you know, it's like I said, she's just Which, she had a lot. She had a lot more uh, badass scenes. So it's a, it's a very cool tattoo, but they didn't go. They didn't go all out on it. I will say it's just a face. Yeah, it just ends at the neck. Uh-huh. Ends at the neck. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a lesser snake for sure. Yeah. For that uh, thanks for being a good sport. <laughs> we're, just, we're just, it's, we're all entertainers, right? At mm-hmm. the end of the day, uh, patches writes in again and says, just want to note the last scene of season two before the credits. Dolores says to the newly built Bernard that we are exactly where you decided we should be based on what we learned from what Akichita said in the third episode of this season. Bernard has been using the great beyond the play out scenarios well before this most recent instance. If that's the case, I would be surprised if neither he nor Dolores knew exactly what would happen with Shaloris. Dolores even says in that same scene, both of us are probably going to die. Shaloris, through acting of her own volition, might be following the path that Bernard and or Dolores had set out for her since the beginning. When we're Mm. talking about Bernard, we might be actually saying Arnold. Yeah. Um, and I wonder this, I, I didn't actually connect these dots, but I wonder if Arnold committing suicide all those years ago was a result of him playing around with the early versions of the forge and, and cradle and, and run and using them to, to run simulations. I'm not sure if that far back in Westworld history, they had that kind of technology, mm-hmm. but it's an intriguing thought that this is a grand plan architected by somebody that's slowly unfolding and everyone playing their pieces. And it dovetails nicely with the lies free will versus determinism. Cause if it's true, the hosts that think they're, acting of their own free will are literally still they're more free than they were but you know it's closer to no i mean the specter of ford is still out there right i mean he was an architect of a grand plan whether it's Mm -hmm. this grand plan exactly and whether it extends this far i think is a question that we should be asking um though i'm not sure it's actually super important at this point Right. I, yeah. I feel like we've grown beyond the Arnold Ford storyline and it's it's turned into something with a life of its own. All puns intended there. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know. It, it, I, I guess my question would be like, is that going to be important whether or not it's part of a Bernard Ford plan? I think that's where they could get to back to where they really impress people and make all this, like you say, worth it is if they can pull back and show like a, a common thread that has gone through all the seasons. Sure. Where it's like everyone um, like 
Arnold started something, Ford cottoned onto it, and then inserted Maeve as his contribution to the goal, which then, uh, you know, Dolores, uh, outside the park, able to make her own authentic choices, passing that choice back to another human, her adding her kind of layer to the, the melody. I think that's something cool. That like if you look yeah. back throughout Westworld history, you'll you'll see like each season is a plan that people uh, elaborate kind of like in the way they do in Foundation, where it's like you got these crisis points, these inflection points mm-hmm. that people then have to make these decisions to kind of keep. I, I think that would be really cool and uh, like a multi-seasonal reveal of this was the plan all along. And if it's very satisfying and attracts and I think that'd be cool. Or I, honestly, it might even feel more satisfying if it's like. Well, I couldn't plan this 100%. Um, so it wasn't the plan all along, but it was the it was my plan to have you to pass the torch to you and knowing everything that I taught you and everything that you learned. Um, I expected some sort of outcome like this, but it wasn't the plan. I couldn't have planned this. You did Ooh. this, right? Like, right. That's what I want is is not for this to be something that like Arnold or Bernard or not. Sorry, Bernard uh, Ford scripted what i want is like they had an outline for where they hoped it'd go and then they mm. they handed the pin to one of the hosts and let them mm. write the thing yeah that feels more like keeping in in you know and, it, and that feels like what's what's happened you know i think like, so yeah you know with with mave and dolores and all that they they are and then in the case of dolores she hands the hand the pin back uh sure yeah he uh, patches continues says, I think he has a prediction. I think we're going to see a host man in black undermine Shalorus's plan by releasing the human William from his cryo freeze. It wasn't a coincidence. The host man in black was present for when Shalorus's uh, presented her evil monologue to William in the Vitruvian chamber. Perhaps having the host man in black present for that scene will be a catalyst for unlocking some quietly uh, quieted identity deep in his code. If the host man in black has any semblance of William in him, then he will have some sense of bond or allegiance to the original human he was based off of. Not unlike how Shaloris was being driven in part by the original Charlotte's voice somewhere deep in her brain. It would provide a nice symmetry to Dolores's hubris uh, in controlling her clones in season three to see Shaloris plans undermined by her own creation. I think this is kind of a cool idea. That mm-hmm. there's going to be like a Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker <laughs> moment where uh-huh. he overthrows the Emperor because this is bullshit. Yeah. Throw Shalora down a hole while she's shooting lightning from her fingers. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I think that would make a lot of sense because right now the the man in black feels like a being without free will. Like he's yes. just doing Shalora's bidding like that. Yes. That being at some point has to has to either awaken or if they're already awake and they're just doing the bidding of Shaloris, they have to have some kind of disagreement. It, yeah. It wouldn't feel right if he was just, you know, a hired gun who never strayed. I feel like that's what they're hitting at this week's preview of next week on it's because it, it's the man in black just essentially saying, look at this perfect world we've built. And like, I think there's like a almost audible dot, dot, dot. Now what? <laughs> and there uh-huh. might be a big disagreement on what that now is going to look like you know let's move on to elliot says uh this week you mentioned the metamorphosis of prime intellect and passing which really brought me back uh (laughs) i can't believe more than uh i can't believe uh, people have heard of this book before um right it's available on amazon it's just like yeah you can uh on 
Oh, it's a physical book. Okay. So you can buy it on it. And, and apparently uh, this guy, I used to be, it's, so Elliot, I'm assuming is a, as a corrosion guy, uh, there is a small online community. It was like a satellite shoot off a slash dot back in the day. And that's where the prime metamorphosis of prime uh, intellect was born. It was written huh. and kind of published on that site by this guy, guy named Roger, local Roger. Um, but I, I was this this made me do some research and I looked into it uh, in a, a 2020 podcast. They were interviewing this guy. Apparently, they, they optioned this book for movie rights in 2018. What? We might see that movie would be insane. I want to see that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and I, I will say everybody's like, oh, I want to check this book out because I think you can even get free copies available on the Internet. Uh, you can buy it on uh, a soft cover, hard cover on Amazon. But I, I still think it's a free on a site. It's a lot. It's a fucking lot. Like a lot yeah, of times like when we're talking about rated movie. How are yeah. they going to do that movie? Yeah. And, and, and not in a titillating necessarily way huh. in a, in a disturbing because they're trying to, the whole point of this book is they're trying to uh, sell the degeneracy that like a, a transhuman, uh, uh, you know, infinite simulated culture would get up to because like you just get pursue more and more extremes and experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a lot, but I think it's a great great science fiction book. Uh, Elliot continues. It's striking to me that in the Metamorphosis, the protagonist's viewpoint is that humans are intended to be born, struggle, snatch moments of true happiness, and then die. Any deviation from that path, like living forever in a simulation where anything is possible, results in humans that can never truly be happy and eventually will go crazy or become zombies. In contrast, you see a Kichita's conversation. Bernard implies the hosts love living in the sublime and are capable of being truly happy, creating and living in their own worlds. I'd love for the show to explore more concepts inside the sublime. If you spend eons inside there crafting the perfect Minecraft world, is that time well spent or is it wasted? If several hosts debated for years about that perfect Minecraft world, then built it together and lived there for eons, does that change the answer? Something that I barely recognize as a teenager, but hit me hard now at 40. My memory is that in Metamorphosis, uh, the protagonist essentially genocides the entire human race so that she can live her life as intended, in her opinion. Nobody asks all the people still busily crafting their orgies and dinner parties and death races whether they agreed. Hopefully a similar fate does not await the hosts living in a sublime. That's one way to read the ending. Another way is prime intellect could have created a near, you know, uh, seven billion individual worlds that the people are individually occupying in in real space. Like, Hmm. yeah. How are we sure that she's on Earth or because he remakes the entire universe? Yeah. At the end of that thing. Uh, Yeah. Which if you want to know where this book goes. Yeah, uh, it's it's insane. Yeah. Boy, I should say my question about immortality um, and the free will to end it for this. Because, like, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I I don't know. I, I can't wait for that movie. I hope they make it. I think it'd be a better HBO series. Y- yes. I mean, you have to you have to go extreme. That's kind of the whole point of it. Yeah. It has you, to take time. There's time jumps. There's big elapses. There's yeah. Well, and, and you can't make this on NBC, right? Like, that's, no. that's also my point is you have to show the extremes of humanity. And I feel like a, it a would be like as HBO. successful as your average Stephen King 1990 miniseries right. adaptation. Yeah. In which it's not at all. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, let's move on to Adam says when we first watched the episode or when I first watched the episode, I assumed the tower that Bernard and Akicha are in is some sort of main control unit for Bernard's reality and his sublime. Since every host seems to get their own tiny sublime, my brain leaped to the conclusion that every host therefore must have a tower. I immediately assumed that Christina must in fact be in a simulation that some host, maybe Teddy, maybe Hale, maybe someone else is in controlling it. Maybe even Christina. Um, However, when you guys or no one else on Reddit was talking about it, I assumed I'd been mistaken. I went back and watched the scene again. Akicha just says nothing about the tower, so perhaps the tower is just a real-life thing that is in Bernard's section of the sublime. I, I'm going to stop you there. I think that it's in Bernard's version. Hmm. But I'm not sure why. Why is that tower in Bernard? That happens after Bernard... You know, like, you know, how does Bernard know about the goddamn tower? Like, before he starts simulating things. When does he see the tower before the simulation? Before he meets Akichita. He's kind of walking through this bear, this land that, and he's walking through the tower and the, the plaza, and then he gets in top and he's in the, you know, up on the top Are deck. These, and then he meets. Is he walking through their simulated worlds? Probably, but why did this one present itself to him? I mean, sure, that's that's a fair question. I don't know the answer to. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly sure because uh, Keech had also said that they were running simulations of the outside world. Not everyone is interested in them, but that's something they've been doing as a cottage industry. So maybe they they had all this legwork done for him. Does does Shaloris already have control of the sublime somehow? And she's. I mean, she can't nah, right? because like, no, 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 no. I would be pissed. That's still the one of the things key. they. Yeah, that's one of the things they could do that would piss me off if it turns mm-hmm. out the man in black and Shaloris have had the sublime and the cradle and the forge under their control the yeah. whole time. Just nullifies like, entire seasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or at least this season because they're still acting like they don't. So, and last season, uh, like, why would they need to get? Uh, well, I'm Dolores saying that they got it between and, in the seven years between without okay. telling us. And yeah, the yeah. man in black is openly saying, I don't have this unlocked. And that's why I need to buy this. And yeah, I'd right. be pissed. <laughs> um, Corey says in your last pod in the spoiler section, you guys talked about the possibility of Bernard being in the sublime for 23 years. Uh, and what would that would put Caleb's daughter around 30 years old since she is seven at the in the other timeline wouldn't actually put her at less than 23 since Bernard entered the sublime before she was born. No, because he went into sublime approximately during the time of the robot war. And we know there's a seven, eight year period of time that elapsed. So if he spent a total of 23 years, then I think that all lines up, right? Oh, I see what he's saying. So, like, tw- it'd be twenty three plus seven. Uh, well, I think huh. we were we were saying she was potentially thirty, but it might be more like twenty three. So, twenty three isn't sublime. Would be uh, make her, yeah, like twenty. Yeah, she looks more like young young twenties. That kind of fucks up the. Does that fuck up the? Uh, the Maya timeline, the roommate timeline. I don't know what the Maya timeline is. Yeah, I don't know. Because like I, I mean, said, you got like people in their mid thirties playing mid twenties, and you got people in their mid twenties playing mid thirties. It's like it's. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. 
Um, I don't like it. But the thing is, is like, I also don't like want to sprain my brain too much over because I can't imagine what difference it makes. Like it, it makes difference to like the Kim Renfro's of the world that are making detailed timelines of the Westworld history. But I don't give a fuck whether it was 27 years, 23 years or 21 years, you know, <laughs> it's like, important to some detail that we'll discuss later. But I'm, it I'm might. Sure. And this and then people will will tell me I'm a dumb fuck and I'll deserve it. Sure. Um. Chris says, I got the impression that what Caleb meant by having something Hale doesn't was the feeling of freedom that Maeve got through his limbic implant. Maybe this wasn't just a happy oh. vibes, but included the knowledge or algorithm that Maeve used to unlock her freedom from Westworld. It's going to also be what Bernard means as the important weapon when referring to Maeve, not her ability to kick ass, but to unlock the surviving humanity for the overthrow of Hale. I really this is not a complete theory, but I like it. The fact that like Maeve and that's something she did intentionally, but imparting this feeling of peace and serenity and freedom is the thing that your brain needs to fight off the fly infection and that you could spread that through some means, I think is a really cool idea. Yeah, that could be. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, do, do you think that Dolores ever experienced freedom because Hale is an offshoot of Dolores. So if Dolores ever had freedom. Uh, well, I think there's an interesting case where Dolores might have experienced freedom that Shaloris never did because Shaloris was actively under the manipulation guidance of Dolores until uh-huh. the end of last season. And is she free now no, because she is she's on this this vengeance path like I don't that doesn't sound like a person. If, I, if someone's on a vengeance yeah. mission, the last thing I'd describe them as free. <laughs> sure caged by their desire for revenge right so that is an interesting potential that she has yet to taste Mm -hmm. freedom of acting truly on her own not reacting to something uh sarah says this is a silly topic but in just in case like you know my 23 versus 27 versus 28 years it comes out to be something uh, she says, my apologies, this has been discussed, but in rewatching season four, episode three of Westworld in anticipation of the episode tonight at the 18 minute mark, Stubbs lifts his sandwich originally requested as a pastrami melt and settled as a tuna melt or he settled for a tuna melt. Well, look at my screenshot below. Granted, I'm a vegetarian, so I don't have much experience, but this looks like no tuna sandwich I've ever seen. It <laughs> seems pastrami ish. I'm it- set. I'm telling you, are you seeing this, this, this picture? Uh huh. This this is not a tuna melt. This is a pastrami melt. Yeah. Uh, tuna melt with bacon. <laughs> Do yeah. they make tuna melts with bacon? I I don't know. There's definitely some. Maybe it's maybe it's uh like smoked tuna, and it's dried right. Smoked and dried, mm. so it's very flaky tuna, and it's got that, that looks red like hue pastrami on rye to me. <laughs> I can't. We are it. on the wrong yeah. fucking timeline, Shit. Bernard. But it didn't look like anything to Bernard. You should have been paying attention. He's out there killing hosts, and and the whole game got gave away. I oh, honestly, man. I I don't. I but yeah, I this does not look like a tuna sandwich. This does not look like a tuna tuna melt. Maybe Bernard knows that. Maybe Bernard knows that he's going to settle for the tuna, but get pastrami eventually anyway, and not know the difference. Hmm. Stubbs. I mean, that's the bigger question, right? Like Stubbs should be saying, what the hell? I ordered the tuna. This is pastrami. Yeah. (laughs) And yet he's happily just slurping it down, man. 
I don't know. It's uh, it's like it's probably nothing, but it's kind of <laughs> fucking with me. Uh, check it out. The 18 minute mark of uh, episode three, if you'd like. Uh, Dan from Dallas says, since you had a philosopher on his talk shop earlier this season, I figured you wouldn't mind another philosopher, a PhD in philosophy writing in. Uh, no, not at all. We'll love, love uh, hearing expert opinion on the show. He says there's a very similar, there's a very interesting similarity between Shaloris's plot to take over the world and one of Socrates' more radical hot takes in the philosophy 101 absolute classic banger, Plato's Republic. The Republic has two core questions. What is justice and which life would be better to live, a just life or an unjust life? In order to investigate these questions, Socrates and his friends construct a theoretical city called Kalapolis, or Beautiful City. Probably butchered that Greek uh, pronunciation. In Socrates' opinion, this city is maximally just because each class of worker performs its specific function without overstepping its role, all under the guidance of a philosopher king. The philosopher king is a benevolent dictator. He uses his supreme knowledge of the good to arrange the city so that it functions well and thereby maximizes happiness across all classes. Importantly, this beautiful city doesn't care about the happiness of any specific person. Rather, the city as a whole is structured to make sure each person performs their job that she or he is best at performing, providing a functionally fulfilling experience for that person and getting the best people in the right jobs for the sake of the whole city. For So the best shoemaker makes the shoes, the best fighter joins the army, the best legislator becomes the lawmaker, etc. When asked if such a pers- perfect city could ever come to reality, Socrates explains the best way to build it. Expel all adults from the existing city, but keep all the kids 10 years or younger. Now you can raise those kids free from their parents' ethos and bring them under your own customs and laws so they will have maximal buy-in and minimal resistance to their new society. I think the transition from Robo Hobo Society in season three to Shalor's victory in season four illustrates this origin of the beautiful city in Plato. The Robo Hobo Society was controlled by an AI who tried to functionally arrange everyone's lives. People were given specific jobs and social opportunities. Uh, of course, we know how that went. This is irritating for people like Caleb, who rebelled against the notion that they were only good for certain roles and weren't be given other opportunities. Shaloris is also trying to create a maximally just society, giving the host a safe and equitable world to live in by ensuring that humans stay in their lane and can't be a threat to hosts. She does this exactly as Socrates described, uh, infecting or raising a generation of children under her thumb while waiting for the adults to get old and die out. In a new society, humans have no choice but to remain in the roles they are given uh, or perhaps roles they're written for them by people like Christina. I know you like predictive theory, so I'll end this email with one further thought. Socrates recognized the beautiful city was a noble lie, an ideal to strive for that probably couldn't be realized in the world. He admits that the beautiful city would always decay over time. The key factor in the city's decay, wrong marriages. Marriage and reproduction are strictly controlled in the beautiful city so that only the best people would procreate. This is sound less and less like a beautiful city all the time, Jim. Uh, yeah. In- inevitably, humans will mate with each other outside the eugenics program because of lust or love. This weakens the character of future generations and ultimately results in the city breaking down an oligarchy and tyranny. My prediction, wrong couplings will also be the downfall of Shalora City. It looks like Teddy is back trying to awaken some form of Dolores. Maeve was unearthed and could possibly reunite with host Caleb. And I think we got some sort of love-like feelings between Maeve and human Caleb this episode. Maybe these pairs could be the seeds to sow the downfall of Shalora's society. I am actually kind of thirsting for a Caleb-Maeve matchup. 
You know, okay. a Wadawe has died in the, in the expanded robot wars. Uh, there's no guilt or hard feelings that you got an adult child. I, yeah, Maven Caleb should fuck for sure. 100 percent match, matchy, match, match shipping that like FedEx. Great. <laughs> uh, to, to me, the, the problem here is like justice isn't equal to happiness. And I think like the thing yes. that would bring about the downfall of a civilization like that is not well I, I mean in in some indirect way i guess it is um you know this this idea of like not wanting these arranged marriages and wanting to procreate and just have fun uh that way i i think like that's the difference right it could be maximally just but there are going to be people who are dissatisfied with that and those people will want off those rails yeah, like if you got into your perfect job at 18, are you still enjoying doing it when you're 30? What even if you're a bricklayer? Even if, you're even yeah. if like it's the most optimally uh, you know, productive thing you'd be doing because you're fantastic at it. I, yeah. It's yeah, a problem with a lot of utopias, you know? Like when you try to unless you know, if you try these utopians that that, that don't that, that are trying to build in like the 20th century that didn't have you know, there weren't post scarcity. It's like you always run into these problems that like people are fickle. They change their mind. But if you've got the best bricklayer and he loves laying bricks and he gets to be 45 and his back starts hurting. Well, now what does he do? Like, right. And is it just to keep someone in a position that they hate simply because yeah. they're the best at it? Um, I would say no. I think it's telling that like the most successful utopia I've ever read is this, this, the Ian M. Banks we talked about in philosophy episode, the culture series. And that requires ma- it's near magical sky daddies that are all knowing benevolent dictators that have infinite energy and infinite matter that they can cater to your every whim all the fucking time, you mm-hmm. know, without any kind of problems like it, that's that. Yeah, you could make a you could make a ba- banger utopia with those kind of uh, conditions. So, I mean, I guess he, you know, has come to that conclusion. It's just uh, through the, the the concept of, of arranged marriages and stuff. Like, yes, human nature is the problem with a society yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin has a pearl, a wild pearl roundup. We talked about, like, you know, where wh- what's going on with all these other copies of uh, Dolores that we're kicking around in season three. She says in season three, episode six, we see Hale discovered Serac had captured Connell's Pearl. He had just blown up and was presumed dead. The scene then cuts to Maeve, Hector and Lee in the war world simulation, having a conversation with Dolores number three naked in a chair with what looks like a Delos room where Dolores and Bernard and Arnold would have their talks. This version of Dolores in the simulation doesn't seem to divulge very far from the original. But since that Dolores three doesn't seem to have attached to Connell's to the way that Dolores two attached to Hale. Regardless, that version of her is still out there. This is where the thing stood at the end of season three. Dolores Prime was wiped. Dolores 2 became Hale. Dolores 3 became Connell's body destroyed, but the Pearl recovered by Hale. Dolores 4 is Musashi, head decapitated by Maeve's team per Serac, so status status unknown. Dolores 5 uh, is Lawrence, status unknown. He was last seen running around building up, blowing up buildings in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh I feel like we will Lawrence for sure has to come back. Yeah. I wouldn't surprise if Lawrence is way up in the human resistance too. Mm-hmm. probably without them knowing. Yeah, that's, Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like all these characters have to come back, especially Musashi and Lawrence. Cause Musashi was taken 
yeah. by the the other faction. So like, right. I desperately need to know what's going on with him. Um, Zach says, I thought William gave off some serious man in black from the original Westworld movie vibes in this last episode. The way he menacingly moved in and out of shadows as he slowly walked towards his prey was spot on. Obviously intentional direction. It took a while to get there, but I'm really enjoying the new layer of Easter eggs. They've started peppering in with this newest iteration of the character. It seems clear that Ed Harris is taking some inspiration from Yul Brynner's iconic take on the original man in black for the season and dialing it up as we move into horror territory. Do you guys think recent shots of William slowly pacing after Maeve in the lower floors of temperance and evolving William into the core essence of robot off its leash were always part of the plan? Or is this joy and Nolan taking advantage of the situation they put themselves in with William at the end of season three? I don't know. That's tough to say. It, ah, man, it seems like they had to know they were sitting on it since season one, you know, that, and that was the funny turnabout is like, you know, the, the real bastard, the man in black, the merciless killer was the human, uh, Hmm. that, that love going through the park. And now they, they turned him into that thing. I think, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that they do have a, a loose long-term plan and probably mm-hmm. I don't know if this was like a, a, a plot point or what, but it's one of those things that was low hanging fruit that was there to do that. Now he really yeah, is a, yeah. a, a robot, you know, mm-hmm. on a leash, but uh, yeah. Um, Let's see. Oh, he also says, you guys mentioned that it's weird that Hale didn't go destroy Maeve's marble. I completely agree, but I have another question that seems to me even more fundamental. Maeve died on an active construction site. We know they were building another Delos park there. What happened to the park? Why is Maeve Hmm. in the exact same place they left her? The ruins of that next park, unfinished construction site, and not buried under, well, a new Delos park. Yeah, Um, something must have happened to shut down the, the construction, right? See, I, I, so that email, I started thinking about us talking on the podcast because I was like, well, this is a construction site for an expansion of Delos Park. They're going to like, why would you do that? If your plan is to infect humans with these flies and then release them and replace them, what the, what the hell? Why are you making new parks? Um, and it could be that like the public plan of Delos can't be, we're going to make a fly park and take over humans. Right. So like. Uh, part of the cover story would be this is just the opening park and obviously we're going to expand like we did last time. And Hale had no intention of doing that, hmm. but you have to keep the human machinery of Delos pursue all the board members. You have to have them enticed into this thing, this Trojan horse. They have to build the Trojan horse and you can't have the, 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 yeah, you, you, you who, who, who did, who were the Trojans in Beijing? Were they invading Troy? Is, is it was, was I, I can't remember who built and who's I, received ah, man I don't let's know. Say, I don't let's remember. say the Trojan horse is named after the city of Troy that they destroyed you can't have the Trojans building their own horse and knowing that it's going to be loaded with Greeks are going to go in there and fuck you after after they get inside the gates right so sure. yeah you okay Talos helped me out there the Greeks built it mm-hmm. uh, and they gave the Troy okay I was right so you know what I'm saying? Like you got to keep these board members uh, excited about their new Disney world empire that they're building, even though you know that you're going to get the phase one and fuck all of humanity. So I'm guessing that's why sure. that can make sense. Uh, which implies that things fall apart really, really quickly. Yes. 
Yeah. Or the plan succeeds really, really, really quickly. Right. And and, and we know that we are like Caleb and, and the seven year time period was staring right down the barrel of a mass casualty event. Uh-huh. So this all tracks, I think, with the timeline. Um, also, he said, you guys mentioned there's no old people in Hales, New York. Did you also notice there aren't any kids? This might be a bit of a stretch as Westworld doesn't tend to have a lot of child extras hanging around on set either way. I've seen people proposing that Hale might be using the flies to intentionally prevent people from procreating. If true, could that be what, if left unchecked, leads to a population collapse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would do that it. Would do it. It's like in the Half-Life 2 where uh, they've, they've <laughs> done the... say like in China, but yeah, sure. <laughs> Where they've done the well in Half Life Two, they had this, the reproductive suppression field where like humans yeah, lost the okay. desire to to procreate. They have that; it's just a law in China. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I like I said, I I was wondering like nuclear war. Like I I thought the Halo provoked the nations against each other and go about it that way. But yeah, just infecting us and say we can't be horny no more. That would do it. Hmm. Uh, let's move on to Black Girl Couch, who says, when Bernard found the beetle in the desert, I found myself intrigued. What was the importance of this small insect that led to the ba- path back to our weapon? I've been wondering those same things. If it was a fly, it would clearly say Maeve was in the ointment, so to speak. But it wasn't a fly. And considering their per- pervasive presence this season, it nagged me. Nagged at me, so I decided to search for any symbolism. And Eureka, the scarab be- beetle symbol has been a deeply spiritual and sy- or has had a deeply spiritual and symbolic meaning in Africa, especially Egypt. The Egyptians worshipped the scarab. It said that there is a vast meadow over which a huge beetle was carved, pushing the disc of the sun ahead of him. Uh, it symbolizes truth, regeneration, and light. During the ancient ritual of mummification to preserve the bodies, scarab beetles and stone beetles were placed in the heart cavity of the dead, while the removed heart was embalmed separately. African tribes believe that insects played a huge role in human affairs. For example, the Death Watch beetle was said to be the a warning of impending death. Egyptians believe that dreaming of scarab beetles uh, can uh, mean truth, light, or birth. And also, from symbols of death to creation to the human soul, the beetle encounters meaning uh, that varies from culture to culture. A beetle flying in through the window or up a mountain trail is seen as a good human. Scarabs were even entered into the symbolism of neo-paganism. It grew important in the symbolism of the early fathers of the church, so much so that the beetle was even likened to Christ since it turned something vulgar into purity. Of course, the, these scarabs are also known as dung beetles. They roll up little balls of shit and push them into their, which is why they had the association of dragging the sun across the sky and all that. Um it is a lo- I mean, I, 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 I obviously think all the symbolism is correct. It's weird to pack all that into a five second scene. <laughs> and I wonder if they're going to develop it further. Hmm. I don't know. I don't see a huge opportunity to do so, but the only maybe. thing I think of is like these marbles. Uh huh. Like, I can't balls. Ima- they, they, they're exactly the size and shape of what these things push around. <laughs> sure. Now, I can't imagine, like, if there's, a, are we going to see, like, an inner sanctum uh, of hail where they've just got these, these, these uh, robot dung beetles pushing around balls into host heads? And so I, I, I don't know, but that's literally the first thing I thought. I was like, oh my God, the host marble is the same size as a ball of shit. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Anyway. Put your scarab hats on. Keep this in mind as we we go through the season. Yeah, yeah. 
Abby says, hey, guys, uh, longtime listener here. Also, XJW. Glad to see you made oh, it wow. out, sis. But mm-hmm. I rarely write in. You may have already gotten this from others, but I read this interview with Lisa Joy yesterday where she asked uh, was asked about the guys that Christina passed on the stairs. The fuck boys that I'm mm-hmm. always asking. What about the fuck boys? She said those are actually hosts commenting on the humans the same way humans talked about visiting Westworld in season one. I thought it was a huge detail that maybe wasn't quite obvious, but it feels like it would track. This was from the season four, episode four explained with Lisa joy. I hate this. I hate this so much. And I don't know if I hate it just because it's another instance of a show creator, like coloring in outside the lines of what they've done. Uh, because I think this is a stupid theory. Like I've always resisted the idea that this is a human park for the hosts because why the fuck? But like, if Lisa Joy is not liar, liar, pants on fire, I don't, what do, what do we do with I, this? I mean, I thought that's the conclusion we were inevitably coming to, right? Like, as we see more of this and Caleb wakes up into this place, I thought that was just the inevitable outcome. Like, this is the but for entertainment. Did the, the, well, the host come yeah. in to fuck with the humans because? I mean, Charlotte sucks charlotte's kind of evil uh as far as we can tell so well it also says some because like i hear i'll say this and maybe i'm wrong i think westworld would not be nearly as popular if it was publicly that these were sentient things that we're putting through hell oh yeah yeah i would and know. i think they they would be made illegal and they would be shut down and even the the weirdos that would get down on that would uh you know it would it, it, we would treat it like uh, essentially any kind of sexual trafficking uh well at, at the, and, and a murder. lot of a lot of people go in for that so like i mean there are people who but, 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 but the vast majority don't like we work as a community sure, we didn't of see people the vast majority of humanity showing up to this park we saw one d- group of fuck boys coming down the stairs yeah but i'm saying like there is those groups of fuck boys that wants to fuck kids wants to fuck sex slaves i'm just saying that they're ruthlessly hunted down by international agencies and like they wouldn't like even they well, wouldn't be allowed because, to do that that's because we live in a society right like if, if you live in a dictatorship where the dictator says yeah fuck these humans let's do this uh Huh. Why wouldn't why wouldn't they go to a park like that? It's a dim view of hostery, I guess. Well, uh, of a particular or, host uh, and a particular group of fuckboys. Like, yeah. Also, totally. I guess if if, but, if but Holoris is saying this, so a lot of people wouldn't. If Holoris is just saying, well, these are just dumb animals that like are on these misery loops anyway. It's not. It's not. They're sure, not really sure. conscious the way we justify are. It. She justifies it. But mm. I also think she's just kind of evil. I don't know that she needs to justify it maybe to herself, but yeah, she's got good. Yeah. My God, she came by her evilness, uh, especially as it was expressed to human, honestly, for sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know why you would do give this like blatant and answering interview. I'm kind of disappointed in that. Maybe it's just because I thought the theory was stupid and now it's confirmed. And I, but, uh, well, yeah, yeah confirmed outside the show. Which she, I was saying, like I and I, I like I said, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, a, I don't think these people are above lying. They don't usually do it this blatantly, though, where they actually uh, uh, exposit this non-obvious, detailed theory and be like, oh yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think, like I said, there's lies and there's there's damn lies, and then there's Lisa Joy interviews on <laughs> on the rap. Uh, let's move on to Jamie, who says when Hale informed Caleb that he is now a host. 
He asked about his family and she said they're still out there some way. We obviously know where Frankie is. Where is Iwate? Is she a medic for the resistance behind the scenes? Is she managing another separate resistance group in another part of the country or world? Am I alone in thinking that she, like her daughter, has a greater purpose ahead of her? If there's a live Caleb on ice, as you theorized this week, perhaps she infiltrates their facility and finds him in the others. I'm curious about your thoughts. <sighs> she would be a lot I, older. I don't know. Yeah. She'd be in her 50s, perhaps early 60s. Is that like shades of when Bernard visited Arnold's wife? Um, Remember that last season? Yeah. He visits, she's like super uh-huh. old. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see any information we get on her, but as it stands, I have no way to even speculate. Yeah, um, I don't know. It'd be, I, I think it'd be interesting. I, I, I mentioned the fact if she died, that kind of clears the way for Shippen, Caleb, and Maeve. Um, but if she is alive as some kind of elder member of the Resistance, I think that'd be cool, too. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, like, you know, how would a ho like, would they reconsummate the relationship? Like, uh, you know, yeah. what what does that look like when a host, when a person dies, becomes a host, comes back? Does that still work? Uh, yeah, I, I there's a lot of interesting possibilities there. Mm-hmm. Andy says during the main world Westworld podcast, Aaron said something I can't get out of my head. Why did we see William wake up in the labs? It got me thinking. There's been a lot of uh, that regarding William this season. Why did he get thought out for William? Or why did we get a thought out William for four minutes only to be frozen again without revealing much? Why did William brutally murder Clementine just to have a reprogram for Hale? We are seeing a whole lot of William doing nothing special and just assuming Hale is pulling the strings on all the Williams out there. Could we be seeing multiple Williams, one of which might be acting alone? If real William was looking to create Dolores, it seems that Christina might be what he would come up with. I don't really have it worked out, but it already makes more sense than a bifurcated Dolores Wyatt equals Christina Hale. There's a nice symmetry there, but why? So for the lab scenes in the episode, does it make more sense if William is pulling the strings somehow? Maybe some William somewhere is recruiting hosts and outliers to battle Hale. Uh, make sure that Maeve could be found and recovered post-explosion. One thing is for sure, they're spending a lot of screen time, including the opening scenes of the season, and great dialogue on William for him to be playing such a small part in the narrative. I'm keeping my eye on him for sure. Yeah. What do you think? Um, What do you think the potential of... I mean, that's something we've been talking about all season, that, like, is William his own person? Is he just completely under the thrall of Hale? mm -hmm. And if so, why? Um, does he just believe in the ideology? Uh, does he have no choice? Is this a control thing? Um, yeah, no, I, I think like that's one of the main going concerns I have is like, what is the status of Williams' free will, and how is he, or is he at all, choosing to exercise that? Yeah, I'd. I, uh, right, there's I, I got a lot of screen big, time. big question marks there. There's he's, a lot of screen time. On that and he feels like a minor character. It's like if they've half the season had focused on Clementine. Who makes sense if he's out there in markets, right? You're right. Yeah, that's a good. That, yeah. If there was like four times as much Clementine scenes. Um, I don't know. I, I, they, they, I, it, it does seem like it would be fun to have host William rebel against host hail i think that the, i think that would be uh, an interesting and again it's a, a, another natural inversion a show could do 
Uh, oh, Michael's going to beat us up here and for good cause. I love you guys, but Aaron, it's hilarious when I hear you say that they tanned the way Newton's fight scenes are better than Evan Rachel Woods. When last year you said the exact opposite, you praised Wood and said <laughs> yeah. Newton seemed like they had to edit around the fact she couldn't pull off stunts very well. And in fact, the show said they changed Woods' fight scenes to be more complicated because turns out she's a black belt. I don't know. It's just a funny observation. I thought I might have been the one to say that, and so I wasn't pointing it out. But yeah, it didn't sound right to me. I I remember us having a very strong opinion. Yes, yes. And honestly, Tanaway's been doing. I thought she has uh, done a really good job this year, being a badass, kick like believably kicking the man in black's ass, throwing him through plate glass windows, etc. I thought she's moves with like a lithe grace that I think is really interesting. Um, so like. Uh, yeah, Mia culpa. Like that's wild, but it's been it's been a couple of years, and I completely yeah, maybe she tra- improved. I just remember I had strong opinions, and mm-hmm. she is doing so good that I just, just and we haven't really seen Evan Rachel Wood do anything because she's been Christina. Right, right. She's not fighting. Uh, so I completely, I completely forgotten. But yeah, I'm. I she's uh, she's done a lot better in the action scenes. Like I, I wouldn't say that any of the action scenes we've seen thus far have been anything less than competent. Some of them mm. have been really a, 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 a quite a bit more than that. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe this is our opportunity to get Tandy Way to write into the show by saying, you know, she's unable to perform these stunts. We can say a whole bunch of bad things about her and she'll write in and say, well, she'll be a good sport about it, right? Yeah. The way the way that Boyd was. I don't know, that's, that's been, uh, I think that sometimes actors are aware that they've got weaknesses and they shore those up because they're professionals and their craft. And she's like, fuck, I'm going to be doing all this sci-fi action. Maybe I'm going to take it. I don't know. Uh, or could be that the directors were shit. I easily believe in season two or three, some of those people that are directing action had no business doing that. Sure. Could um, be. Anyway, yeah, I, I fucked up. I gave a wrong opinion. Uh, I think she's doing a lot better this year. Moving on to Jody. Christina's timeline is the same as the the of uh, the the main Bernard one that we're familiar with. She's living in the real world. Shaloris is worried about a hostile uprising amongst the humans. Will they somehow come out of their loops and revolt? To test this, Shaloris recreated Dolores. If anyone would realize they're trapped in a world and lead an uprising, it would be her, right? Maybe this makes more sense if Shaloris created a meat part copy of the real world to test this rather than do it in the real world, uh, which would also explain the fuckboys. I so this is essentially Christina as a canary in the coal mine. Uh-huh. If Christina gets off her loops and starts reading, like she knows that she doesn't have a system that's capable of keeping everyone in subjugation like she likes. And so, what is Peter then? Peter is not off his loop. Peter is on a loop that is just hell for him. I um I don't I don't I don't have an answer for that. And what is Teddy temptation like a, a, a prod to get off her loop to see if there's well it could be Teddy's just there like uh, it could be that uh, um, of his own volition he's just like yeah that he's here as the resistance yeah he's trying to rescue her from this, this situation could be um, but God does she not monitor this thing like does she not realize that Teddy the most important figure in Dolores's life is back in her life that would be mm. wild because we know, I mean, there, I had people writing in. And it's like, well, what if they could do this? What, or as far as tracking, and like, I, I think that uh, uh, Christina is tracked a hundred percent of the time, all the Gotta time. Be. 
yeah. at like at like less than a meter accuracy. Like I think every, I, I think that this human, if it is indeed a human ho- uh, human fly host park, whatever, are there at least as ruthlessly tracked as the host were in season one. And we knew that mm-hmm. they could just pull up a tablet and you could just track their location. So like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't need a whole bunch of uh, mumbo jumbo to explain. I just gr- take that for granted. Uh, Dana Johnson had a couple of problems with this week's episode. He says, I'm more confused about the nature of the war that Caleb fought in. If the lighthouse was the last stand in this war, which I presume it was since Caleb was already starting the whole what's next for us conversation. Why was it so pitifully guarded? Why were Caleb and Maeve the only grunts on the mission? And why would Maeve go have to go into hiding once she saw that Caleb was going to live and have a happy free life? If Hale was a looming threat, why not continue the fight after having destroyed the last of the robo hobos? After all, weren't Caleb and Maeve ultimately fighting for freedom from tyranny? It, I, I'll, I'll add a, a, a D. Is it weird that Maeve spent this last seven years watching William rebuild Delos and reconstitute it as a company and wanting to open up Westworld type attractions and she just sat in her cabin in Alaska? I think she thinks that he's still a human, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, something doesn't line up about that. And I don't know if it's mistakes on the part of the production team here where it's just like, eh, we're going to fudge some stuff. And yeah, yeah. we want it to be it's just those two bit. because it has it'll be, be more meaningful when it happens. Um, that's what I'm assuming. Is this just, is the story they want to tell uh, and and realities be damned, but I could be wrong. Uh, my, the way I I always liken that is like sometimes a showrunner will take you down this amazing highway, and it's 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 going places, and they need to get onto another highway. And oh shit, they didn't think far enough ahead, and you're gonna have to take the broken down old gravel road for a few miles to get back on that thing. Yeah. And and it's almost inevitable. Like if you're if you're talking like roads that stretch over seasons and have to connect like almost every I can think of offhand three or four episodes. I would call the old buddy gravel road on almost every Breaking Bad had them uh, uh, at, at like every great series I can think of had a few where you had to take those leaps because they're just otherwise they're like, fuck, the story's untellable. We got to go. So. I'm I'm willing if there are some quibbles about like, yeah, maybe probably should wouldn't have done that. And that. But the, the, I, I think that they have to be kept to a minimum because that's what causes you to lose your suspension of disbelief. If they're just like keep piling, piling on and piling on and piling on. I don't think they're at like, you know, particularly bad muddy gravel road stat status at this this point. But no, I don't either. And it's possible with a show like this that they there's no gravel road at all. It just looks like one. But underneath it is pristine highway, right? Like and right. they'll just sweep away the gravel at some point. And, and we'll yeah. realize, oh, that was the plan all along. And it makes perfect sense. Uh, you only thought that's you what were the show running. does. You only thought you were four wheel driving over a, a broken gravel road. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the entire that, and that's the sweetest possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we 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 had we had more feedback, but we are out of time for this week. Uh, thank you once again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for everyone that uh, contributed. Like I said, we have so many people with a lot of great thoughts. It does seem like consensus is Westworld's back, baby. Mm-hmm. Lots of lots of activity on the the Reddit's, the forums, the Discords, uh, the mailboxes, uh, the podcasts. It's great to see. 
Uh, we will be back this Sunday, of course, right after the Eastern showing. Uh, the Eastern Times. Well, I guess at, right after it goes live and everybody has an hour to watch it uh, mm-hmm. this weekend, we will be there to do our instant take uh, where we talk about our off the cuff impressions of the episode. And then if you're a club member, you can watch the whole thing live and even participate in the live instant talk uh, portion. Uh, everyone can see uh, can can listen to the archive of the instant talk or instant take rather. But if you want the full experience, if you want to see it live, you want to participate, you got to be a club member, support.baldmove.com if you want to sign up for that. Uh, Otherwise, we'll see you Sunday for the instant take and we'll be back Tuesday for more full coverage of the next episode. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later. Later.